the book of Mark, which is where we've been now for uh, several weeks, and we were going verse by verse through there. Uh, as we come into this passage of Scripture, uh, I can't help but think of several different things that have been taking place. And so we look at this passage of Scripture, and we have, uh, again, we're 28 verses into the book of Mark. We have seen Jesus, well, we saw John the Baptist coming, and John the Baptist was teaching and preaching the repentance uh, for the remission of sin. We have John the Baptist is baptizing in the river, and then we see Jesus coming in, right? Jesus comes and says, hey, I need baptized, and John the Baptist is like, ah, you're nuts. <laughs> like, I don't need to be baptizing you. You probably should be baptizing me. Like, you're, you're Jesus. Well, Jesus gets baptized, and we know, as we looked back several weeks, Jesus goes under the water, and as Jesus is being brought up, what, do we, what happens? The heavens split wide open, it says, and then it says that the Holy Spirit rests upon him as a dove. We go from that moment and we continue to press into this, this passage of scripture and Jesus goes from there and it says that he immediately went into the wilderness and was tempted. In those moments, Jesus spoke boldly to Satan, the enemy, using the word of God. And after that, we see Jesus coming out. Dan began to speak the last few weeks about some of the things that was taking place. Jesus is teaching Jesus calling the disciples to follow him and be fishers of men. And we see that Jesus, all throughout this whole thing, is showing his authority. Jesus is really, he's speaking and he's acting and doing the things that he is doing, casting out the unclean spirits and doing all of these things with one intention. One, it's always to point people to the Father, but it's... He's acting and doing these things, validating his authority, validating that he is God. And I come to you today, and the thought that came to me as I began to put all this together is I wonder if we truly grasp the story that is really being written. Am I individually really looking at this and going in through this, and is he, am I experiencing God's authority, Jesus' authority in my life as he is God. Am I surrendering my authority to him? And as we come into today, I'm really just, it's a continuation as to everything that uh, Dan has spoke the last couple weeks and uh, that we look at this, that he is the authority. As he came up out of the water, the heavens splitting. As he spoke to the devil. The authority that he displayed in his teachings that we looked at. The authority that he displayed in casting out an unclean spirit. Jesus was God. He was showing that he was God. They were, see the, the people around, they were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting this new king of the Jews, right? But what were they expecting? They were expecting him to come in, not as a baby in a manger. They were expecting him to come in and be like, all right, I'm in charge now. All of you are out. These people are in charge. We're going to take over. We're going to rule. And Jesus did what? He did the exact opposite. He came as a humble baby. He came loving. He came teaching. And he was showing forth that he was God, though they didn't treat him as such. He came to show the need of a Savior. He came pointing others to his Father. He came as a humble servant, preaching repentance of sin. And as we continue to look through and look at Scripture, as well as uh, looking at things in our own lives, I think all of us would come to this place not everybody will accept that authority, right? Not everybody is going to accept the reality or the authority that God is God and that I would surrender my life under his authority. But we see that that's what he's doing. As we were talking and putting some of the initial thoughts together as we do each and every week, I believe Dan made the statement that it is our faith that truly feeds his authority. Have you stopped to think about that? Now, granted, God is God, 
and he has authority over everything. He can speak, he can do anything that he wants, but in our lives, it is our faith that truly feeds that authority. Because until I come to the place in my life to surrender my authority to him, he kind of sits back and he, hey, Aaron, he just kind of knocks. Never has God just swooshed in and taken over a life. He has waited for you to surrender to him. It's confession. I can't make you confess sin. He's never made you. We point to a place. We point to that. But as we look at it and we think of even confession of sin, looking at this, our confession, our faith and trust in him gives him access to you. That sounds so bizarre in my thinking, but it truly is what it is. See, when I confess, it's one thing to confess, but when I confess, Jesus delivers us. Do you know salvation isn't pretty? Have you ever thought of that? Your salvation was not pretty. Jesus going to the cross was not pretty. Jesus picking you up literally as a dead individual walking and literally lifting you up and breathing life into your lungs and giving you eternal life was not pretty. He grasped you out of the pits of hell and brought you to a saving relationship with him. Do you realize that's not pretty? But as we confess, the only way this happens is as we give him that authority. Because he just sits and knocks. See, our confession, to confess is to acknowledge our sin. As we acknowledge our sin, we can't keep it covered. Psalm chapter 32 says, Blessed is, the, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How do we become cleansed? How do we do that? We do how, how we have our sin is covered is by acknowledging our sin... But until we acknowledge our sin, he will never deal with it. That's a cra- isn't that crazy? He's God. He can literally snap his fingers. He can breathe. He can do anything that he wants. But until we acknowledge our sin, he can't do anything with it. And once we acknowledge it and we surrender it to him and we give it to him and we, it says in Psalm, or Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth, And then what does it say? Forsaketh. It's not good enough for me to just confess, but now I have to forsake it. I have to flee. I have to repent. What was Jesus? What was John the Baptist preaching? They repentance for remission of sin. Jesus was coming to preach the repentance, preaching the gospel, that it was a repentance of our sin. And as we look at this, until we surrender in confession and in forsaking, there is no authority that God has in our lives. That's a crazy thought to me. Because he's God. <laughs> he controls everything. But yet he's given you that choice in your life. I don't know about you, but how many of you have had somebody in authority over your life that you gave no authority to in your life? If you have a teenager in the room, they may be in a stage of life where you are the authority, but they really give you no authority, right? They're not listening. I remember countless times in school where that teacher was the one in charge, but they really weren't the one in charge. You ever have a class like that? I remember in elementary school, Mr. Greenwald, that poor guy, there was a group of us. I I would sit under his desk. This guy was horrible. I don't know why I'm sharing this. I would sit under his desk, and I don't even know if my mom, I'm glad she's not here. I would sit (laughs) under his desk during class. He had no clue. I, you could get into his drawer because in the back of the desk you can reach up. The guy had no clue. The substitute teachers, have you ever had a substitute teacher that left your classroom because you were a good class? 
No, these are people that had authority, but you never gave authority to. You know, it's the same, similar situation. And I know maybe we're making a joke of it, but the reality is until I surrender my will and I say, God, I am surrendering this to you for you to have authority. And this is some of what we look at. Because I believe that as we look at this passage of Scripture, I believe that as we go through what we're, what we're going through throughout this book of Mark, the beginning stages are all the setup. It's all of Jesus validating that he has the authority, that he is God. But it comes back to us surrendering that to him. And the, the, the disciples at this point in their life, they had surrendered. They had left everything. We made the joke. Dan made the joke. They left dad in the boat and they left the boat. And they left it to go over here to follow Jesus. And we see in this passage of Scripture where they began to act. They began to say, He is God and I really believe Him. And their actions begin to show also in their faith in who Jesus is. And so as we get into the passage this morning... It truly is, in my, my thinking, that this is the beginning. Life is getting fun and going to become more and more interesting for the disciples, these new followers of Jesus. Decisions will have to be made. Will we follow this man? Do you remember the passage where the, the multitude is out there and Jesus speaks to them and he says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my bones or my blood. And he turns around and the multitude is gone. And then he looks at the disciples and what does he say? Will you too leave? Why did he do that? Because they, didn't, they were unwilling to surrender the authority of their life over to him. That we would follow him. That they would follow him. And so we see all of that. And this morning as we continue, this is the thought that came to my mind. When we surrender to the authority of God, we better hold on because God is about to show out. When we truly surrender, I don't know if you've ever been in the place, but when, we, when you surrender your life to God, there's a lot of things that are about to happen. One, it's probably going to get really, really ugly. Like, you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. And then you're like, this is going to be the greatest day of my life. And within a moment, you're just like smacked. And you're like, wait, I just gave Jesus my life. Have you been there? That was one of those weeks for me. <laughs> Why? Wow, you, you begin to speak to him. God, here it is. But in that moment, God is about to do something that's going to completely blow our minds. God wants to not just show up in your life. He wants to show out in your life. And so this morning, I wish I could tell you that when you do this, everything is going to be perfect and beautiful. It's not. But hang tight, remain faithful, and watch what God's about to do. Join me in Mark chapter 1, verse 29 is where we'll start. We'll go to verse number 39. Mark chapter 1, 29 to 39. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, mo wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and I cannot make mother-in-law jokes because my mother-in-law has been watching my sermons. So, no mother-in-law jokes today. Uh, uh, what, where was I? Um, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and, and on they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon... And they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, 
that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Father, I come to you today, and Lord, I'm asking, Father, that you would use your word to touch the hearts of each one that hear. Lord, there's people in this room that are hurting. There's people in this room that have had a great week. There's people in here that may need to know you as Savior. And God, they need that life change, that transformation of life. And they're at a place where they are considering that confession and that repentance. God, would you speak to each one of them? Would your word do what your word does, piercing the hearts, dividing the soul asunder? God, that you would be glorified. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The first thought this morning is when we surrender to his authority, God shows out in the miraculous. When we surrender. So again, these disciples had surrendered. They had left everything and they began to follow after Jesus. And we know from what was, was spoken the last couple of weeks prior to this, uh, they were amazed. They were astonished in verse 22 of, of chapter 1. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. They were blown away. And so I can only imagine some of the things that may have been taking place when they were leaving the, the synagogue. Just like all of you, they would have gathered together. Now, they would have done it in a different manner. The women would have been in one section. The men would have been in another section. There would have been teachers. There would have been all these different things. So it would have looked different. It would have been about three to four hours, and y'all would have left at about an hour and 15 minutes in. But they would leave the synagogue just like we would leave a church. And when you leave the church, you begin to talk to each other and you begin to have conversations. I'm curious as to what the conversation may have looked like. What were they talking about? Were they talking about this Jesus, the, the one that was teaching and speaking with such authority? Were they talking about the lunch that they were about to go have? Were they talking about, what were they talking about? What did that look like? We don't really know. But it says that they left and then they went into the house. I want to show you a couple pictures. I don't really ever do this, but I think it's relevant to where we are and what we're looking at. And so this is the remains and the ruins of part of the town in Capernaum. Has anybody else, I've been fortunate to be in Israel. Has anybody else ever been to Israel? Nobody? Ah, oh, you got to go. It's amazing. This is the ruins of Capernaum. The temple is in the bottom left corner, or the right corner. I'm learning my right and left. The bottom right, the big square, is the temple. The house that they would have went to is straight through up to the round little deal. Do we follow? I show you that to say this. When it says that they left the synagogue and into the house, literally, probably from one side of our building to the next. Maybe, maybe 50 yards at best is what we're talking about. Very, very relatively close. So I wonder what the conversation was. If you go to the next one, it gives you a more of a modern. This is more today. Um, the next slide. There we go. So this is today. So if you look down closer to the bottom here, all of that was covered in rocks or dirt. It hadn't been uh, uncovered and discovered at that point yet. Uh, the temple, they did some things to renovate a little bit to make it. Um, and then where the house was is now a, uh, a Catholic church is on top of that. They've built it up and then you can go inside of there and there's like plexiglass or glass and you can see down. But here's the point of all of me showing you this isn't so much just the history, but it's to get a visual of a little bit of the town. They would have left the synagogue to walk around and go directly to a house. And then it's most likely what they would have done is in most of those homes, especially some of the larger ones, they would have had like a courtyard where they had just hung out and gathered and talked and discussed 
And I had so many thoughts. What, what was the conversation? But then I wonder this. His mother was sick, right? I don't believe in my thinking that she became sick between the last three to four hours. My thinking is, one, they knew that she was sick. They left the house going to church and going back to the house to check on mom. Did they just rush back home? There's been many times on a Sunday morning I've my wife isn't feeling well or one of the kids isn't feeling well and I do my thing and then I go back home to make sure that everything's okay. Did they rush home? Was it really a, uh, hey guys, thanks for coming, thanks for coming, blah, 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 and we rush out the door to go back to the house to check on mom? We don't know. But as we look at these pictures, as we think of some of these things in Scripture, we get to this place and the disciples, again, had surrendered themselves to God. They surrendered their, their lives to His authority that He was God. And they've seen the things that they've seen. They heard the teaching. They saw Him casting out of the, 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 the unclean spirits and the demons. They've seen all of these things. And they get to the house and the mother-in-law is sick, laying with the fever. And they say what? Jesus, can you help? Can you help? Can you do something about this? In Luke, there's kind of the parallel passage of Scripture. And in Luke, it says that he rebukes the fever. In Mark, it says he reaches down and picks her up and she is healed. But I believe that a lot of these things take place because they had surrendered and they had believed in who he was. See, until I surrender my authority, until I surrender it to God, God cannot show out in the way that he has desired to show out. And sometimes it's me saying, hey, God, I, I, can you help me here? And because I have faith, God shows out. But we look at this passage, and I want to give us two simple thoughts that just came to my mind as I was writing all these things down, is when did God heal? What, is, what does it say in the word? Immediately. Immediately. It says that, that, that he rebuked the fever in one passage. In the other passage, it says that he lifted her up. And it says that she was healed, immediately healed. Do you know when you cry out to God and you say, God, I'm confessing, God, I need God. When God shows up, God does so immediately. But when God shows up immediately, he doesn't only show up immediately. But let me ask you this. Did she wake up with a limp? Did she have a headache that was lingering on because she hadn't been feeling well for several days? She was completely healed. Did you know that God heals completely? Completely. Sometimes I forget that I've been healed completely. The past was healed completely. I'm I'm completely whole the way that God needs me and has made me. Well, but you don't know about my past. No, you've been completely made whole. When we say, God, I, I confess and I surrender and I'm asking you to come into my life, he doesn't say, well, Esther, I'm going to see how you're doing today. And then we'll come back and we'll deal with it tomorrow too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean this little bit up and then tomorrow we'll come back. No, when you ask Jesus to come into your life and to save, your, to save you and I'm willing to surrender all of my authority to him, he immediately, completely heals you. Immediately. And we look at this passage of scripture and there's an immediately. 
not only is it immediate, but it's complete. Their belief, their surrender caused Jesus to show out. I I genuinely believe that yes, Jesus was validating, but he did that because of their faith and their belief and their surrender. Their willingness to say, hey, would you do that? Jesus healed the, the young boy. Do you remember the story? Jesus healed the young boy that wasn't even near him. And the dad said, you've got to come, you've got to come, you've got to come. And he says, no, it's already been done, just go home. When did it happen? When the man had the faith that it would happen. There was a surrender to that. And as we go through this passage of Scripture, we look at their faith. Not only did they see Peter's mother-in-law come, she wakes up, she ministers to them, it says in 31, she served them. And then in 32, it says, and at even, at evening, when the sun did set, what day was it there? It was a Sabbath day. So they didn't work on the Sabbath day. They had to wait till the sun was setting. When the sun was setting, then they could go to work. So then it was at evening time. They went back into the town, and it says, what did they do? They began to bring others who were sick and who had unclean spirits. Again, we're in a town, and I, I, the picture's not up, but we're in that little town And we don't know that people may have just been coming to the house because they were like, Jesus is there. And so because Jesus is there, we're going to go. But it says that they went and they began to bring others. Their faith showed out to pull others in. And they began to see the miraculous taking place. And if you follow this passage of Scripture, it says that they did this over and over and over. Most likely till midnight or after was Jesus healing people that came to the door. Why? God showed out when they surrendered and believed If we look at this passage again, when we surrender to his authority, God shows out in the miraculous. God healed many that day. God healed many that day because of a surrender. When we surrender to his authority, God shows out in our solitude. If we look at this again, we continue on through the passage. Many were healed In verse 34, 35, it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. They weren't like on his tail. They were searching for him. They woke. When did Jesus wake up? Long before the morning sun? They wake up and they're like, Jesus? Have you ever went to one of your kids' room and they weren't in the room? And you were expecting, they didn't run away or anything, but they were in a, in a, on the couch or they were somewhere else and you're like, that small bit of panic? They looked and they're, Jesus, where's Jesus? They begin to hunt for Jesus and they searched after Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had went to a solitary place. He had went to a place of solitude. I don't know where you're at with work. I don't know what you do with work. I don't know all of the things. But when I began, when I became the lead pastor here at Oasis, I, I put in a lot of hours early on in my ministry as a teacher, as a youth pastor, as a whatever else. And I, I, I'm, a lot of that was really dumb. But I did. And I was good. I was tired. But I was good. When I became the pastor, like, things changed. The amount of energy that I felt that left my body on a regular basis was so different, but yet I wasn't putting in and doing the same thing. 
the energy workload went from working with my hands far more to working with my head in a different manner. You know, I, I've come to a place where I think I'd rather put in eight hours of digging a ditch than thinking and working emotion. Mental and emotional work, it'll kill you. Because you know why? After I've dug my last ditch and I finished, I'm done. I look back and I go, wow, that was a nice whatever I just built. And I go home and I lay my head down and go to bed. Mental and emotional work never changes. It never leaves. It, somewhere in my mental makeup, at bedtime, my, bed, my, my, my brain doesn't go, oh, it's bedtime, off. If yours does, I commend you and I dream and wish that I had that. Because usually it's about bedtime that mine begins to work. Anybody else have this problem? My brain begins to work at 10 o'clock at night when I'm trying to lay down to go to sleep. Everything begins to go and it... And I'm like, whoa. See, Jesus had just done a lot of work. What was the day looking like? He started his teaching in the synagogue, right? Dan talked about that last week. He healed and uh, cast out unclean spirits. We come to today where we're looking at it. They leave the synagogue. They go right into a house where Jesus comes, and then he heals an individual. He shows out, and he, he gives compassionately to somebody. He loves compassionately. And then we don't know what took place in the next several hours of that day, but then at some point, at the daybreak, when, when, when the sun is going down, people begin to come to the house. And now he's healing one after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. And he lays his head down. And then it says he wakes up early in the morning before the sun has come up. And he goes and he prays. And I would just encourage you. I would plead with you. I would beg you. I would do whatever you want to put that word there is that we would make sure that we understand that the strength of our day does not come because we got 85 hours worth of sleep. The strength of our day comes when we bow before an almighty God and we say, God, I can't and I need to be with you right now. See, Jesus came to a place much sooner than I have in my ministry. <laughs> Jesus is early on in his ministry. And he came to a place of realizing my strength comes from my father. You know what most of us in this room struggle with? Maybe I shouldn't say most of us. Maybe I should just say me. Do you know what I struggle with? I don't like to be alone. Some of you are like, I love, put me in a quiet room all by myself for the rest of my life. 2020 shutdown was the greatest thing that could ever happen to some of you. Not me. I'm not some big extrovert guy. But I don't love to be just alone. I, I like to be near people. So going away and getting in the word and spending hours upon hours just in a solitary place for many of us is very difficult. But can I just say it is 100% necessary to be with God. It's what all of us need in our lives. Why? Because the strength that we have, if you want to make the right decision, we need the wisdom to make the right decision. Do you know how we get the wisdom to make the right decision? It's as we bow down before God, we dive into his word, and we say, God, I need wisdom because I don't have the wisdom. 
God, I need a more clear understanding. God, I I need to be a better father. And the only way that I can be a better father is as I'm diving into God's word and I'm spending time with you. And God, I don't understand how to have the proper patience with my children. And God, I don't understand how to have the proper patience with my coworkers. God, I don't understand what is going on around me. I know that you are in control, but God, I need you. That thing, those conversations have to take place and they can't take place except for alone with him. Yes, we need each other. But almost every time Jesus does something like what we just witnessed, you find Jesus where? Away in a mountain, praying with God. Where was Jesus when he was being arrested? In a garden, doing what? Praying. Every point and moment almost in Jesus' life that was a major moment before he called the men to be his disciples, he prayed. Before his baptism, he prayed. Before he fed the multitude, he prayed. Before he raised Lazarus, he prayed. Before all of these things, in the upper room, he prayed. In the garden, he prayed. On the cross, he cried out. Always. Because he recognized his strength was in his father. Those disciples, I can only imagine the thought when they find Jesus. Whew, we found him. But, what does he say to them? All right, guys, that was awesome. We got another city to go to. We've got work to do. I can only imagine their thought. Jesus, we just were, we literally, from the start of the day until after midnight, we were... We were doing this thing. Now we're four hours later. We got no rest. What are you talking about? Can we take a time out? Jesus had been filled. He had been given the strength. Listen, God will show out in your solitary and solitude moments. But sometimes it's not always the way that we expect it. Have you ever said, God, I, I'm surrendering. And God, I'm asking that you would begin to do these things in my life. Have you ever done that? Is it usually fun? No. I shared this with the first group. This week, we started these ten, this 10 days of prayer. And a lot of that was just something that I believe that God had just been just wrestling with me. And, and I felt that that was needed but in my own personal life I've been praying over a pastor scripture in Isaiah 58 and I've been praying and I've been asking God to reveal things in my life to to, to just do whatever in my God I period at the end of the day I want to be more intimate with you just at the heart of it I want to know you more and I said this don't ever say this God I I want to be uncomfortable so that I will have a greater intimacy with you. Man, it's been so good to wake up early and come and pray at six. It's been good to dive into the word. It's been good to do all of these things, but don't ask God to make you uncomfortable. (laughs) I texted Kenny, our kid's guy, and one of my closest friends, and I, I had spoken to him before this, and I had, I just told him, hey, these are some things I'm praying over this next several weeks. Would you pray with me? Would you be a part of that? And I did that to about four or five of my just close people in my life. And, and he texted me later and he, well, no, we were talking and he shared with me the thought of asking God to make us uncomfortable. And so later on, I texted him and I said, listen, I concur with what you said. Never again will I ask God to make me uncomfortable. Really dumb idea. But you know what? In those moments, that's, that's what God is doing. It's in those solitary moments that we become and we recognize the brokenness and the need to be broken. It's in those broken moments that we recognize that need to cry out to him 
because it's in those moments that we see our frailty and we see his glory and how good that he is. But it comes where? It comes in the solitary moments when it's just he and I. Whether you go to a closet or you go to a mountain or it's just you in the house, whatever it is that you do, but it's you and him, it's in those moments that we recognize our brokenness. Why does the psalmist say that we should ask God to search us and try us? When you begin to pray that, it's usually not the best thing that happens, right? Because <laughs> God begins to search you and God begins to show you, like, oh, and you're like, oh, <laughs> I don't like that. But you know, in those moments also, you now have a decision to make. Will I surrender or will I continue to do what I want? And I challenge you this morning, when we surrender to his authority, God will always show out in those moments of solitude. Jesus' prayer life was essential to his strength. It was essential to everything that he did. And if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to cry out to be in one with God, to be that unity with God the Father, if he needed, how much more do we? We must. We must. So the first two thoughts, Jesus, or when we surrender to his authority, God shows out in the miraculous. When we surrender to his authority, God shows out in the solitude. And then lastly this morning, when we surrender to his authority, God shows out in our continued mission. So many times it's easy to just say, you know what, I'm done. There's no part of this passage of scripture that speaks of that where it's, these guys are just like, I'm done. I can imagine they were tired and they wanted to just say, time out. <laughs> like I just said a moment ago. We got up early, we went to the synagogue, we spent three or four hours in the synagogue, we come home and you're healing and we, you know, I, I don't know if they took a Sunday afternoon nap, I know it wasn't Sunday, but you know, I don't know if they did that. But I imagine they were probably tired. But Jesus had a mission Jesus had a purpose. Jesus had a drive. Jesus was going somewhere. He was constantly pointing people to the Father. And he looks at him and he says, all right, guys, next town. Next spot. Hey, we've got to go. It says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. I'm here for this reason. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and cast out devils. Jesus came in Luke 5 and 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He was pleading then, and he is pleading with us now to surrender our lives that he would show out in and through us. That we would surrender our time and prayer and solitude with him that he could show out so that he could continue to encourage you in the mission that he has called for us to go. He was seeking the lost to call them to repentance. See, Jesus wasn't just about a large crowd. There was large crowds that followed him. But Jesus wasn't just about having a large crowd. Jesus wasn't really about the miracle itself. The miracle was to point them to his authority, to point and validate who he was. Do you realize what Jesus really wanted? He wanted what? The surrender. He wanted the surrender. When he has the surrender, I will continue in what God has called for me to do. I will continue to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You will continue to preach through your life and to preach through your workplace and to preach through everything that you're doing. You will completely and continually completely do those things when we surrender everything. If all I want is the miracle, then I'm missing out. A lot of people wanted the miracle. And when Jesus looked out at the crowd, remember the one time he said, hey, you'll need to eat this flesh and drink of this blood. Where, what happened to the crowd? They were gone. To the point that he did what? He turned to his disciples and he said, will you also leave? 
Why did they leave? Because they were excited to watch everything going on, but they had no desire to surrender anything. He didn't want that. He wants to surrender. And when we surrender to his authority, God will do what God does by showing out. God will do what God will do in your surrender as you continue to press in to what God has called for you to do. Listen, this morning, we've got to continue to press in, but we've got to surrender to him. I ask you, are you surrendered? For some in this room, surrender the first time. Surrender might just be salvation. I have never come to the place where I spoke of early on in this sermon of confession. I have never acknowledged my sin. I have never come to the place to simply just say, I have failed and I have sinned. You know, that's one of the biggest headaches as a parent is getting the children sometimes to just say, yes, dad, I did that wrong. Right? It's for them to say, I sinned. I did wrong. I should not do that. But that's just the start. So for some of you, it's the start of saying, I acknowledge that I have sin, and then I'm willing to forsake it and flee it and surrender it at your feet in salvation. That may be some of you this morning. The majority of you, it's a whole different thing. That surrender is, will I surrender everything, all of my life, all of my day, all of my thoughts, all of that. God, I surrender my life. I know that I know you as Savior, but I'm just, I still want this pocket over here. God says, no, would you surrender everything? Would we be a surrendered vessel to God's authority that God would have authority over my life that he would use us where he desires to use us? Isn't that hard where he would desire? It's hard in my world. (laughs) There's a lot of things I like to do. But sometimes it's, I have to step back and say, God, I'm willing to allow you to lead that. I'm willing to go where you would have me go. Are you worried more about the miracle than you are about the one who performed the miracle? Are you surrendered to a solitary time in your life? Do you have a time where you spend that with God? You might say, I've never done that. And so I don't have hours that I can think of. I'll promise you this. You give yourself five to ten minutes of, God, of time with God. He'll begin to give you the time that you need. Maybe you've never done it. Maybe you have done it and you just have gotten away from it. And you, what's, what used to be a good hour of time or what used to be a good whatever that time was, it's now just become like a, oh, God, give me a good day. Keep me safe as I travel. And, uh, and you go forward with life. And you've found that you need that. You just haven't surrendered it to him. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're just sitting back waiting. You've seen God do what God does, and you were okay with it. And God says, no, I'm not finished. We just sung a song, right? If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're here, God has a reason for you to be here. What are we doing with Father, I come to you today. And Lord, I look out amongst those that are here and there's some that are believers that are surrendered to you. There's others who are in this place of wrestling and figuring it out of, do I surrender? Am I, am I okay enough? Does God love me? Is this a direction that I should go? And God, I pray that 
on either end, if it's somebody that sits today that does not know you as Savior, that they would surrender. If it's somebody that knows you as Savior, but they have kept pockets of their life because they're afraid to give everything over, would they surrender to your authority? God, would we be a people that are willing to say, here I am, use me. I'm surrendered to wherever it is that you would have me to be. Lord, these disciples surrendered and they fled and they left to follow Jesus. And out of that, they began to see the miraculous work taking place. Out of that, they then began to have the desire to go themselves. And they began to press in and follow what God would have them to do, moment by moment, continuing on. Lord, we're here today because they continued the mission that you gave to them in the church. So God, would we surrender? Would we surrender time in our lives, in our days to you? Would we surrender things in our life to you? Father, for some, they surrender their life to you in salvation that you would make them whole that you would make them a new person as we sit right in our seats this morning just take a moment right where you're at maybe you want to come forward would love to have you come forward and pray But either way, would you respond to the Lord? Would you cry out to him and surrender? Maybe you don't know the Lord. Would you say, God, I need you. I want you to come into my life. I surrender my authority to you. Father, thank you for meeting with us today, for this place that we are able to come and worship together. Lord, I pray that our hearts were opened and that we truly would take in your word, that you would speak, that you would have spoken to us. That God, we would go back to our homes, we would go back to our places of business, God, that you would be glorified in them, that you would use us as surrendered vessels to you, that you might show out all around us. Father, we thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.